Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Fistle Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and two-door cinema club. Tired of restless nights? At Lisa, we know good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. From memory foam mattresses to hybrids that keep you cool all night long, Lisa's mattresses offer exceptional comfort and support with free delivery and 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. See new things. Try new things. Go back centuries while living in the moment. Forge new paths while discovering old ones. Pedal, paddle, and paint while trekking, tasting, and tailoring experiences that transform you into a better version of yourself. Immerse yourself in the world by activating your mind, your heart, and your body on a river cruise exclusively from Avalon Waterways. Save with limited time offers at AvalonWaterways.com. Avalon is cruising. Elevated. Murder in Miami is a production of iHeartRadio. Previously on Murder in Miami. I think I actually found Leslie Bickerton. <laughs> She's been hiding for 40 years. That's no way to that's no way to live. Phil, she's still afraid for her life. I've realized this over the years. What happened to me 41 years ago has been with me my entire life. I mean, it stole my life and it stole my voice. By the time Leslie Bickerton, who also dabbled in modeling while living in Hawaii, crossed paths with Lamar Chester, she was barely 30 years old. Before I had even heard of Lamar Chester, I was working in the Caymans because I have a CPA background and an international tax background. In addition to accepting the challenge of living on the island and the job with him, Leslie Bickerton would also become romantically involved with Chester. All three of those things would come back to haunt her. Just boom, boom, boom. And then about somebody that had been killed off, you know, was going to talk about him, I guess. And there were contracts out on his life and contracts that I was also in danger So, in the fall of 1981, a frantic Leslie Bickerton is trying to figure out how to undo the damage done by crossing paths with... International drug smuggler Lamar Chester. Though she only worked with him off and on over the course of seven months, in many ways she's still trying to figure out the ripple effect of that time period. Changed the course of my life, and still today. It's... Like it just happened yesterday in one sense. 41 years. It's not like I was allowed then to go back to, you know, a normal life. Those months forever altered your life. Oh, completely. It set a course that I didn't even know. I wasn't setting the course. Somebody else was setting the course and I didn't even know it. Having been told by Chester that her life was in danger, not knowing who was behind that threat, and isolated on his farm in a time before cell phones or the internet, Bickerton's fears are left to fester. Just sort of left me there. 
So emotionally, I mean, just a wreck, scared to death. But at the same time, so my brain works anyway, kind of a little bit analytically. It's like, okay, what do I need to do, right? Okay, one, two, three, four. Immediately coming up with the names in my mind that I, I had to take into consideration. It wasn't just about me. It was about those that could be at risk and protecting everybody just in case because I didn't know what I was dealing with. I mean, I knew I was dealing with something that was big, really big and way out of control. That's all that I knew. It must have felt like being unknowingly exposed to a very contagious, very deadly disease. Beyond that, horrific. That's the impact that it had on me. And how do you disprove that? If someone tells you, well, now you're in a lot of trouble and someone's out to kill you. Right, and you isolate them, Mm -hmm. right? That's one of the other parts of that. The more you isolate a person... You keep them, right, separate from everybody. You keep them separate from their families, friends, people who can help them. And you more and more psychologically feel like you're out there on your own. And that would have broken you down pretty quickly. Oh, very much so. Mm. Very much so. I'm Lauren Bright Pacheco, and this is Murder in Miami. Feeling trapped, Bickerton was also terrified of confiding to anyone she knew, fearing it could place them in danger, too. I think sometimes you draw deep within inside yourself, even though you don't have the answers, you figure it out. You know, a survival mechanism. And in that mode, Bickerton remembered a group of Army Rangers stationed nearby she'd befriended after coming to Georgia. I went up to this event in Helen, Georgia, these hot air balloons, and it's a place tourists go, and that's on the big grounds that they had there for the hot air balloons. That's where I met them. We just stuck up a conversation. I don't drink, drink, but had a beer with them, and just kind of like clicked. It just clicked. And they were really great, and they were just funny. Great sense of humor. Wholesome and friendly. Yeah, yeah. They were also oddly suited to understand the situation and danger Bickerton suddenly found herself in. The Airborne Ranger guys that I met were Staff Sergeant. I mean, these were like the top, top guys in the training. And I know one of them was like one of the top snipers. They were telling me about their adventures overseas, what they were doing. And that's who I immediately thought to reach out to. That's the only people I knew up there with those military guys. Rangers are the Army's elite and premier infantry force, rigorously trained to carry out intricate operations such as raids and assault missions well within enemy territory. It's a position requiring a daunting degree of mental, physical, and moral fortitude. I have a contract on my life, so I did reach out to the military guys, and we kind of figured out a game plan A plan that plays like a movie plot. I would marry one because that would then, they could legitimately bring me over to the camp so that Lamar couldn't get near me and nobody could get near me, that I would be physically protected. They were concerned about me 
like being at war, you know, all right, strategy immediately thinking outside the box. You got to think on your feet. What can be done right now? What can be done next? What can be done next? And by marrying in name only, that allowed. um, So you thought the plan that you hashed out with these guys was that you would make a public show of marrying one of them. So Lamar would be intimidated to no longer mess with you. Exactly. And apparently, that's exactly what Bickerton did. Immediately planning a wedding, which seemed a sensical option given her surreal situation. I knew that Mark was not going to mess with these guys, period. Instinctively, people like Lamar, they just know who not to mess with. We actually you know, had a ceremony as well. A ceremony Bickerton's family attended, fully believing to be real. From the outside, it all looked real or unreal, but legitimate. Almost like for the same reasons people fake their own death. You wanted your own family to believe it. You wanted to really sell it so that you could then disappear. Yes. Was it a marriage in name only? Yeah, and it was annulled within two months or something like that. While it may sound like a far-fetched plan, Bickerton sent me photos of the small outdoor wedding. In them, Leslie's wearing a somber expression and a simple white sleeveless gown while clutching a simple bouquet of wild flowers. She's standing next to her groom, whose name she doesn't want revealed, but is formally decked out in full Rangers dress uniform. The couple is surrounded by other fully outfitted airborne rangers, and the small group of gathered well-wishers include Leslie's family. Her mother is standing in front of a goateed and grinning Lamar Chester, who's sporting a sport coat alongside his wife, Artis, who's wearing white slacks, a pink top, and dark sunglasses, while leaning to her left so as to get a better view of the bride. The photo also provides something else. My father loved photography. He took the photos, and my father labels everything as meticulous. So that's how I could get the date. It's in September 1981, because I couldn't remember the month when I was married to this military person. I want to quickly point out, Leslie says she hastily arranged the wedding immediately after Chester told her about a Clayton being murdered and fed to the alligators. Williams went missing mid-September, but his body wasn't found until October 2nd, which gives weight to the theory Chester knew of the murder before the body was found and to Bickerton's concern for her safety at the time. I mean, I'm just grateful for the military guys in Georgia, that group of guys, because I don't know if I would have ever been able to even get out of Georgia, but it bought me enough time. Without them, I'd I'd probably be dead I'm almost sure of it. Um, I owe my life to them. After the nuptials, Bickerton says she hid out with the Rangers until she could put together a plan to flee to another location. Interestingly, Dan Davis, the reporter-slash-River Hills publicist who was on Chester's payroll, would later be interviewed by C.B. Hackworth in 1983 for an article in the Citizen Chester series. In that article, Davis would offer a pretty scathing interpretation of the wedding, characterizing the groom as, quote, 
one of those gung-ho military types who enters the service at 16, unquote, and Pickerton, who was 31 at the time, as, quote, Leslie, who was maybe 35 or 40, and there's this Rick, 20, and she wanted to get married, so they did, unquote. The same article quotes Chester, reacting to Leslie being referenced as his mistress in public record. Quote, he balks at that description and refers to her instead as an occasional girl I saw, unquote. Now keep in mind that Chester was married and that Davis was basically his hired mouthpiece. Here's Leslie. This whole article basically was a smear campaign against me. If it was nowadays and this was happening, I'd take them to court like it's nobody's business and I would win. And again, nobody has ever bothered to approach me back then or any time to get my side of the story or exactly what was happening during that time period. And you had never seen this article until I sent it to you, correct? Correct. So it's interesting looking at it now and going through all of this. Several comments I'm going to make. This emphasis on age, and this was somebody that I had married that was young and naive, and that's not true at all. None of it that they wrote down is true. They somehow tried to discredit you by claiming there was a age difference between you and your groom when Chester's the one who's 20 years older. Right. He had children your age. Oh, right. And I knew his children. <laughs> Looking back at it now and the pattern that Lamar Chester presents himself to the media, right? Presenting themselves in such a way that they can't be touched. And so how do you present? You discredit the other person, right? You create your own storyline to raise your own image as a so-called family man, which he wasn't. I mean, Lamar had relationships with other women. I know that for a fact. So interesting that he, quote, balks at the description of you as his, quote, mistress in public record. Mm. It almost sounds like it's Chester's way of appeasing his bruised male ego. A lot of it is ego. And by dismissing who I am, then it takes the judgment off of him, right? Which is sort of a classic pattern by men. And I thought about this. I wasn't his mistress. I mean, now, you know, I look at it, give the definition of a mistress. I wasn't. I wasn't being kept, right, as a kept woman. Kept, I'm sort of, here's my dark humor coming again, right? You know, yes, I was kept as a hostage in one sense. I would never have gone to Georgia had it not been for my dog. After the rushed and staged wedding, Bickerton would land in Houston, which was also the location of the Lone Star investigation, something of which Bickerton attests she was unaware. It was inferred that I went to Houston and that I just showed up at the federal building, Mm -hmm. turned myself in to the feds at the federal building and gave them all this information. And that is not true. So you're moving really fast. And it's like, where can I go next? Try to figure what would be my next step. And I didn't want to jeopardize my own family. So I would not have gone back up to New England. 
I would not have gone back to the Cayman Islands because I wouldn't have put anybody in jeopardy there that had nothing to do with Lamar. So I had some friends in Houston. So I made a call and stayed with friends, actually, initially, but didn't want to put them in jeopardy because I didn't know how extensive this was. I knew it was serious. So I rented a small apartment and just took a temporary job. Had no plans of staying there. It was just temporary. And then that's when I got that phone call saying that Houston people, feds in Houston were going to come after me. And so that's when I met the people in Houston. I think it was the grand jury first. The only reason you went to Houston was because you had a friend there who could get you employment and you could live under the radar there. Yeah, and it was temporary. It was, where can I go immediately? I mean, I'm just thinking on my feet, knowing that my life was probably in jeopardy and knowing what Lamar was now more involved with. You left Georgia, and then Mm -hmm. the feds show up at the military base looking for you. Yes, yes. And you get the heads up that they're looking for you while you're in Houston. So that's then would have been getting a phone call that Houston people were going to come looking for me. That also meant the CIA, because don't forget, Lamar had told me about that he was involved with the CIA. So I didn't know it was Houston. All I knew was the feds, which could have been anybody, were looking for me. And that would have been October, is when they tried to find me on the military base and the guys were protecting me. And when they found her, the prosecution already seemed to have honed in on Bickerton's fears in terms of safety and her other vulnerabilities, too. Houston had promised me that they were going to get my dog. And so they promised you that they would go to the Darby Islands and get your Doberman. Yep. No problem. And did they? No. Oh, no. But you had no idea that there was an investigation into Lamar in Houston. No. No. And didn't know about Lance Eisenberg either, investigation, with Smythe. Smythe was the name of the Cayman's account. I mean, that's what Houston was after, was Smythe with Lance Eisenberg and his clients. It sounds like a line out of Casablanca, but of of all the states in the country, you end up in the one state, in the one city. (laughs) You know, you're right. Who knew, right? So here's my dark New England humor. You know, the the old cartoons, Bullwinkle, my God. Watch me pull a rabbit out of my hat, and the lion comes out roaring, and Bullwinkle goes, wrong hat. (laughs) Wrong hat. No, I had no idea. I didn't know anything about Houston and their investigation. I didn't know that Houston was looking for me. It took 11 years to get to the sale. The NYX anniversary sale is on now at knix.com. Celebrate the intimate apparel company that has reinvented products for real life with one of NYX's biggest sales of the year. Get 30% off all leak-proof apparel from the number one leak-proof brand in North America, including period underwear, swimwear, activewear, and more. 
Millions of people have made the switch to Nick Sleek Proof Underwear, and there's never been a better time for you to try. Save 30% on super comfortable, machine washable, and great looking underwear that's perfect for periods and light bladder leaks. Choose from a variety of colors, styles, and sizes, from extra small to 4XL. You can even match your leak-proof underwear with an incredibly supportive and comfortable NYX wireless bra. Don't miss this chance to stock up on your NYX favorites or try something new. It only happens once a year at NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com for the NYX anniversary sale. Hurry, the sale ends on Monday, May 13th. Go to NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. When Dr. Sabah and I decided to do a skincare line together, he said to me, we are going to give women meaningful beauty. And I said, that's exactly right. We want to give women meaningful beauty, which means each and every product is meaningful. It has a, a reason to exist. It's efficacious. You're going to get results. And then you just go out and live your life. Meaningful beauty. Confidence is beautiful. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. Phil Stanford finds Leslie's explanation of her move to Houston in keeping with many surreal aspects we've covered. Coincidences have happened all through this story. My meeting Clay Williams in the bar, happy flying over the, the ocean and meeting Lamar at several thousand feet. So I don't have any problem with it being a coincidence that she ended up in Houston, as she says, that the feds went to the, her soldier friends in Georgia, said, where is she? And they said, she's in Houston. And then they tracked her down. In any case, they would have found her anyway. She's adamant that it was a coincidence, and either which way, it certainly wasn't beneficial for her. She does say that they got involved. She does say that she took a job knowing that he was looking for an accountant and a mistress. It's easy enough to, to falter her judgment on that. All sorts of people have made mistakes along the way in, in this story and, and just about any other story, I suppose. What I think is interesting, though, you have this young woman. He's her employer then at that point. And I felt that she was pretty maligned in the press as being of less moral character because she was his mistress when he's the one who's married. He's the one with the wife and kid. He's the one who's 20 years older. And I thought it interesting that not a single reporter, not one, ever reached out to her. But there was pretty widespread coverage of the 1983 grand jury in Atlanta, sensationalized by the fact the foundation of it was built upon the Houston leg of Operation Lone Star, which would be mired in controversy and allegations of corruption and misconduct. Here again is Phil. The real corruption was in the U.S. Attorney's Office in Houston. The investigators had been touring the, the Caribbean for some time on the government tab. A new junior U.S. attorney had come in and tried to report them. 
and gotten crosswise. Uh, the whole office was in turmoil. In fact, one of the U.S. attorneys had actually contacted Jeff Bogart, one of Lamar's lawyers, and offered to tell him about the illegal tactics that they were using, including altering the documents for the, the grand jury. And they offered to sell it for a couple hundred thousand dollars. That chaos spilled into the tone and content of Atlanta's proceedings. It was a mess, a hot mess. It sounds like some hotshot prosecutors were trying to bring in some big money laundering indictments and fell down a rabbit hole and wound up in Alice in Wonderland. That's reporter Tracy Thompson's take. She's now a prolific author and journalist, but was then reporting for the Atlanta Constitution. In addition to covering the Atlanta Grand Jury, she had also extensively covered the charismatic counsel representing Lamar Chester in the case, Bobby Lee Cook, a man known for his flamboyant personal style and equally fetching eloquence. He had a type of charisma that very few people have. It was an interesting thing. When he walked into the room, everybody knew Bobby Lee Cook was there. He could easily have walked out of the 19th century. He parted his hair in the middle. He had gold spectacles that he wore on the tip of his nose so he could look at you over them. He had a gold pocket watch and this very large chain that he kept it on. He very easily could have walked out of 1870. He cultivated that image. He also had a Rolls Royce and a chauffeur. And somebody asked him once if if he was afraid that that would be off-putting to jurors. And he said, no. He said, I think they see me with a Rolls Royce and they know I'm a smart guy. Got my money because I'm smart and they trust me because of that. And they could trust he would ruthlessly defend his clients. People were scared of him, and they needed to be scared of him because he was mean. He was vicious in cross-examinations. You didn't want to tell Bobby Lee Cook a story with any holes in it because he would find it and ruthlessly exploit them. Here's Phil Stanford's take. Yeah, Bobby Lee Cook is certainly one of the more formidable people I've ever run across. Extremely smart lawyer. Never seen anyone who could talk on his feet like that. He lived in this tiny town in North Georgia that was half boarded up when I finally went down there and talked to him. He had a chauffeur-driven Rolls Royce. (laughs) And he looked so homespun. That was part of his act. He wore hush puppies, suspenders, had a beard, and he could adapt to just about anything. I mean, he represented the Rockefellers and the Carnegies in some dispute. He represented a lot of the, the Southern mob. He's a wonderful lawyer. At one time, he was thought to have been the, the model for this TV character, Matlock, a series about a, a Southern lawyer who was also very homespun and very effective like Bobby Lee Cook. Tracy Thompson has agreed to read excerpts from one of her pieces of the time, which really paints a picture of the courtroom dynamic as one of the former prosecutors from Lone Star's Houston leg. John Johnson was questioned by Bobby Lee Cook. John Johnson, a beefy former federal prosecutor from Houston, sat gripping the sides of the witness box like a man driving a tractor. Before him stood Somerville defense attorney Bobby Lee Cook, 
who surveyed Johnson over the rims of his glasses like a cat contemplating a caged canary. The subject, a four-year-old federal drug probe named Operation Lone Star and a secret government informant named Leslie Bickerton. Ms. Bickerton, Chester's former office bookkeeper, told Houston investigators that Chester eliminated one potential snitch from his organization by having him murdered and feeding his corpse to alligators in Florida. Cook quickly became the unofficial master of ceremonies, striding about the room, waving his arms, glaring at witnesses like a pale, blue-eyed, wrath-of-God preacher. The flamboyant Somerville lawyer dominated the proceedings. In a phone conversation we had, C.B. Hackworth recalls bumping into Cook that day, right before he headed into the courtroom to question Johnson. We were outside the courtroom after a lunch break. Bobby Lee Cook was pacing back and forth in the hallway. He was obviously getting his thoughts together to go in and begin his cross-examination of John Johnson, who had said some potentially damaging things. And just as the bailiff came out and said that the magistrate, Alan Chancey, was coming back in, I got up. Bobby Lee turned to me, looked right at me because I was sitting there, not because I was special, and said, let's go feed somebody to the gators. And he was referring to John Johnson. And in my estimation, he pretty much did exactly that. He dismantled John Johnson in a way that I can't remember ever seeing before or since anyone just so completely humiliated in a courtroom. Bobby Lee Cook would also question Leslie Bickerton in court. And perhaps his skill as an attorney is most apparent in that Bickerton herself had a very different personal experience than those observing the interaction. Order in the court. I had no idea what I was walking into, into that courtroom. I didn't even know who Bobby Lee Cook was. Nobody had ever mentioned his name to me. The feds never told me about who this attorney was and what to expect that day. And so, again, I'm just set out there. It's interesting that he was able to really ingratiate himself to you because he completely understood your plight. The way that he started off the conversation, and I distinctly remember, was about dogs and about his bloodhounds and about my dog, Kavina. Um that was stuck down on the Darby Islands. Stolen from you, really? Yeah, never given back. (laughs) And that's what Bobby Lee Cook started right off. My dog, Kavina, and put me at ease. I don't remember even how long I was on that witness stand. I just, I don't. But I do remember at some point, whatever the questions were that, Mr. Cook was directing at me, I just, I froze. It was like being in a road and the semi's coming straight at you. You know you have to move, but you can't move. C.B. Hackworth wrote about the exchange. 
A key prosecution witness wept yesterday as she admitted to defense attorneys having lied at the behest of government agents in an attempt to ensnare accused White County drug smuggler Lamar Chester, saying that, quote, it wasn't right from the beginning. It wasn't right. None of it was right, said Leslie Bickerton, 33. She said she was physically afraid of John Johnson, a former U.S. attorney in Houston. Quote, I felt like he didn't have any regard for anybody, Miss Bickerton said. Or for the truth, added Chester's lead defense attorney, Bobby Lee Cook of Somerville. Yes, sir. He wanted you to lie, charged Cook. Yes, sir, said Miss Bickerton, dabbing her eyes. Miss Bickerton testified that Johnson told her he believed there was a link between Chester and the Bahamian Prime Minister Lyndon Pendling. It also became apparent that Bickerton felt she was being played and manipulated by both sides. I remember Bogart and others in that courtroom laughing at me while Mr. Cook was asking questions of me. Like I was a joke. I'll never forget that. And I remembered, I don't know what answers I was giving at that point. I just froze. That stuck with me. Back to CB's reading of his article. She said her knowledge of what the government agents and prosecutors were willing to do made her fear them. Ms. Bickerton said she also came to the conclusion she was being used by the government and decided to stop cooperating immediately after her appearance before a federal grand jury in Atlanta. Phil Stanford recalls Cook's questioning also exposed something else, Bickerton's feelings for Chester. Bobby Lee Cook was questioning Leslie about this, and it was remarkable. I mean, he's a remarkable talker. (laughs) He was creating this novel on his feet and drawing her into it. And he says, and this is, I think, when she had left Houston and gone back to Atlanta to tell Lamar and and his lawyers about the changes she'd made to the, the records. And he's sort of drawing her into this story, into her story, as he would see it, of how she felt at this time. And and, and he said, and there was this big pirate of a guy that, you know, that she obviously couldn't resist. And he just swept you off your feet. And and, and (laughs) the U.S. attorney, Gaffney, stands up in his double-soled wingtips and says, I object, Your Honor. And she says, no, no, let him continue. It was, for me, the high point of the the hearing. But it showed, yeah, there was an emotional tie between the two of them. But how and why Bickerton got tied up in that emotional relationship and the crosshairs of a federal investigation is something she continues to grapple with, particularly since some of it seemed orchestrated by Chester. You mentioned that he was controlling and calculating, for lack of a better word. Looking back now, do you see his advances on you as part of that calculation? hmm Yeah. Mixed feelings, because I like Lamar, but then you also know that you've just been betrayed and that you've been set up, that this is a person who is a threat that can hurt me, really hurt me. And at the same time, somebody who is presenting themselves as, 
your protector and your predator at the same time. Right. After telling her her life was in jeopardy, Chester offered to sneak Bickerton out of the country, which she immediately took as another potential threat, further indicative of their dysfunctional personal relationship, something she's still processing. So when he crossed the line over the professional relationship into a personal and and romantic, for lack of a better word, when did that happen? And what was the context of it? Looking back at it, I'd say it makes you feel comfortable. And I'm not just saying this for myself because I know a lot of other people that have been connected with him. And I've asked, is it just me? A predator, time is on their side in most cases. And they're just waiting for the right person, right mark to come along. Psychologically, what predators can do is to make you feel very comfortable. And it's done on purpose so that you're not even asking questions that you should be asking and being a little bit more careful given that he's, you know, this person's a stranger. So psychologically, it's very subtle and it's deliberate and it's extremely manipulative and controlling. So subtle that you don't see the signs. You just don't. So when I first met him, he was cordial and made me comfortable, you know, because I was interested in going to Darby Island and did. So the romantic side of it, if you want to call it that, I don't know, maybe a month or two months, something like that. But there wasn't, it wasn't, I didn't fall in love with him. And I, I, it's hard to explain, Lauren. It really is. It was part of the manipulation, part of getting you to trust him, and then also being beholden to him. Right. And then it's like you see the opposite side of the coin. It's evil. It's pure evil. A darkness that is emotionally, mentally, physically beyond human comprehension. It changes you forever. There's just something that you're always, always on your guard. So 1981, what, to 1985, so four intense years of hiding because I never knew who was going to come at me and everything that was going on at that time. So you have that period of time, but then the ripple effects was ongoing. It took 11 years to get to the sale. The NYX anniversary sale is on now at knix.com. Celebrate the intimate apparel company that has reinvented products for real life with one of NYX's biggest sales of the year. Get 30% off all leak-proof apparel from the number one leak-proof brand in North America, including period underwear, swimwear, activewear, and more. Millions of people have made the switch to NYX leak-proof underwear, and there's never been a better time for you to try. Save 30% on super-comfortable, machine-washable, and great-looking underwear that's perfect for periods and light bladder leaks. 
Choose from a variety of colors, styles, and sizes, from extra small to 4XL. You can even match your leak-proof underwear with an incredibly supportive and comfortable NYX wireless bra. Don't miss this chance to stock up on your NYX favorites or try something new. It only happens once a year at NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com for the NYX anniversary sale. Hurry, the sale ends on Monday, May 13th. Go to NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. Well, I don't know about you, but, like, I never liked being told, oh, wow, you look so good for your age. Like, why even bother saying that? Why don't you just say you look great at any age, every age? That's what Meaningful Beauty is all about. We create products that make you feel confident in your skin at the age you are now. Meaningful Beauty. Beautiful skin at every age. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. As for Chester, his growing desperation and belief that Phil Stanford would somehow facilitate CIA efforts to sweep in and make his legal issues disappear, continued. Lamar sends me to D.C. to talk to my people. I go and just spend some time, and Lamar asks me over the phone what I found out, and I say, nothing. You know, as usual, I'm not very talkative. And at that point, from then on, Lamar really didn't expect anything from me. In Miami, things were really falling apart. I was doing some other investigative work that was leading in in sort of dark directions. I, I had to get out. I loaded everything in my car and drove back, moved back to D.C. And went back to all the usual places on the Hill, congressional offices, magazines, trying to get a job. And I remember going back to one, one of the places where I used to work and I said, yeah, you used to be someone. And it didn't mean that much to me then, but I see what he meant now. One of the people I did do some work for was Danny Sheehan, who had the Christic Institute. And at that time, they were, in the course of their, their own investigations into El Salvador and, and the death squads there, come across information about what the United States was doing in Nicaragua and other places in, in Central America and the, the drugs for guns trade. They were trying to expose that. That's so interesting, particularly if you go back to Chester's claim that he was running guns into Nicaragua, and then also in court filings and in articles with C.B. Hackworth, Chester claimed that he was involved with flying Somoza, you know, Nicaragua's then president before he was overthrown and assassinated in 1980 by the Sandinistas. Chester claimed he flew Samosa's son in and out of Florida at the request of the U.S. government. So it's just interesting that Sheehan's looking into Nicaragua and Chester's claims back up 
what he seems to be looking into. Yeah. And have to remember that this was at least a year and a half, two years before any of this really started surfacing in the press in the United States. So it was still hard, even for me. I wasn't convinced that Chester was telling the truth about this. It all seems so crazy. And it could have been true. It it might have been false. I think it's also interesting that Bobby Lee Cook has a Nicaragua-Samoza connection because Samoza hired Bobby Lee Cook basically to clean up a report about Nicaragua in terms of its reputation, in terms of human rights, because he wanted to get more aid from the U.S. State Department. Yeah. I'm not sure what connection, if any, that has to Lamar's activities, but it's more an indication to me anyway of Bobby Lee Cook's connections to people in high places. And if Chester started to sound paranoid about perceived threats to his life, it's hard to know where they'd be coming from, as in addition to his claims of CIA connections, multiple reports tied him to mob connections and Colombian cartels. But his legal issues weren't exactly mild or insignificant either. He was openly boasting about being a prolific drug smuggler and having run hundreds of trips into the United States. Contrast that to the sentence we mentioned linked to the Black Tuna Gang in episode one, and you can see why Chester might have felt desperate. Drug smuggling was also the topic at federal court today with the beginning of testimony in the government's Black Tuna case. As a recap, the Black Tuna Gang ran Miami's drug trade in the 1970s. All in all, the gang was accused of importing around 500 tons of marijuana into the United States over the course of 16 months. Federal Judge James King listened as one-time smuggler turned government informant Luke McLeod told of the eight tons of marijuana which he claims to have delivered to the key defendants, Robert Meinster and Robert Platshorn, in 1974 and 1975. They charged Platshorn under a kingpin statute that was meant for much heavier drug offenses And what I really remembered about that is that he got 60 years for smuggling marijuana into the United States. Bobby Platshorn was actually sentenced to 64 years and served 30, until recently earning the dubious distinction of being America's longest imprisoned nonviolent marijuana offender. Now in his mid-70s, Platshorn says the magnitude of his crimes was a fraction of what he was accused. <laughs> uh, 30 years in prison for importing marijuana. First offense, nonviolent. I caught the first kingpin charge they ever gave for marijuana. And I was prosecuted for 848, continuing criminal enterprise, also known as the Kingpin Statute. When I first saw that, I had no idea what it meant because I don't think I was even a safety pin, let alone a Kingpin. But the government hung it on me. Today, Platchorn's a marijuana legalization activist and an entrepreneur, putting to use his knowledge of the law that was weaponized against him. I put it to work when I got out of prison by starting the Silver Tour to change minds about marijuana, to cater to the senior demographic who have the all-important vote in just about every state in the union. And I'm known for for 30 years in prison and the last 10 years legalizing one state after another. 
In addition to now being a pioneering pot advocate for the elderly, which is the fastest-growing segment of the medical marijuana market, Platchorn's made his mark in the legalized weed world with his aptly named and super popular Black Tuna Marijuana Strain. He's also written Black Tuna Diaries, a memoir, and is featured in the documentary Square Grouper. And he remains adamant that his noteworthy and notorious sentence was actually more connected to corruption than cannabis. Corruption here. Plenty of corruption here. An attorney who I knew to be the bag man for federal judge said the judge wants three million bucks, which we'd have gladly given him if we had three million bucks. We had put the money in our homes, in our businesses. Between Robbie and I, we were able to scrape up about a million three, a million and a half. And the judge sent us a message. You'll be sorry. And we were. Platshorn says he sat through his trial knowing the whole thing was a farce. It was a show trial, beginning to end. Half the things that happened or were said at the trial just were made up out of thin air. At sentencing, Judge James Lawrence King said, quote, The price for participation in this traffic should be prohibitive. It should be made too dangerous to be attractive, unquote. Now, this is only Mr. Platshorn's version of the events, but it does show the potential impact that law used to make a statement and example could have had on someone as public and vocal about their illicit activities as Lamar Chester. I did reach out multiple times to the office of Judge King for a statement, but received no response. It is interesting to note that Judge King was also responsible for the ruling in 1989, which would put an end to the Christic Institute, the public interest law firm, which employed Phil Stamford for a time. I had first come across the judge, James King, when I was covering the Black Tuna trial down in Miami. I was working at the newspaper, then I went back to the files and looked him up, and it turned out he had been on the board of a mob bank back in the 60s. (laughs) The board of directors of a Meyer Lansky Bank that's connected to the Teamsters Central Fund and Central States Fund. Phil remembers talking to Danny Sheehan about Judge King, who was presiding over Sheehan's case. He'd made this a, (laughs) a court case of, I think it was a a RICO case, in federal court. And he was going to prove that the U.S. government was complicit in this drugs and arms trade in in the wars in Central America. So what do you think of the judge? What do you think of Judge King? He said, oh, I think he's been pretty fair up to now. Well, it, it turns out that King was just giving them enough rope to hang themselves with. And after about a year of Danny's trial in D.C. He threw out Danny's case, said he didn't have the evidence he needed to argue it, and charged him in the Christic Institute with legal fees for the other side, which came to a million dollars. effectively bankrupted the Christic Institute. Okay, back to our timeline and story. It's now June of 1985. And so I'm back in D.C. for about a year And I get a call from Bob Adams down in Miami, and he says, you're not going to believe it, Lamar just died. He's in a plane crash at his farm in Georgia. 
Remember how uh, Lamar was fighting to get his pilot's license back? Trial's coming up in a few weeks. The feds decided to give him his pilot's license back. So to celebrate, he took his, his Piper Cub up. Little daughter, AJ, who's five years old, with him for a joyride around his farm. And they crashed. What happened to his daughter? She was in the hospital. She'd broken her back, and no one knew what was going to happen to her. And the official explanation of the crash was that he ran out of fuel. But no one believed that. An experienced pilot like Lamar would check the, the fuel levels before he took off. And the first person on the scene was a GBI agent who Lamar had had some run-ins with. Georgia Bureau of Investigations. Yeah, he, he just happened to be there at the scene. He even got to the, the crash before Lamar's father, who was living on the, on the property. So you found the story about the crash suspicious? Not just suspicious, unbelievable. He was murdered. On the next Murder in Miami, Ron Elliott shares his version of being at Chester's farm on the night before he died in the crash. I yelled to him, be careful, the two cars out there. The cars tore off towards the gate. Lamar yelled at me to get in the pickup. He was coming with a shotgun. And an expert on the covert activities of the CIA weighs in on the plausibility of the gray male defense of... International drug smuggler Lamar Chester. Absolutely credible. That's credible. All that makes absolute sense. Murder in Miami is a production of iHeartRadio. Executive producers are Lauren Bright Pacheco, Taylor Shacoin, and Phil Stanford. Written by Phil Stanford and Lauren Bright Pacheco. Audio editing and sound design by Nicholas Harder, Evan Tyre, and Taylor Shacoin. Featuring music by Evan Tyre, Phil Mayer, John Murchison, and Taylor Shacoin. Archival elements provided by Lennon Lewis Wolfson II, Florida Moving Image Archives. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get the stories that matter to you. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists, like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Spentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Tired of restless nights? At Lisa, we know good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. From memory foam mattresses to hybrids that keep you cool all night long, Lisa's mattresses offer exceptional comfort and support with free delivery and 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. Are the old world picturesque shores of Europe calling you? Set sail on an adventure with Avalon Waterways. Enjoy an elevated cruising experience. Avalon Waterways offers smaller ships, bigger experiences with fewer people and more of, well, everything good about river cruising. Don't just dream about quaint towns and cobblestone villages. See them for yourself and make lasting memories. Discover limited time offers today at avalonwaterways.com.